Wallace, get over it. If you are too lazy to take your food out of the microwave or clothes out of the washing machine on time, then you deserve all that you've got done to you, says Liz. (laughs) Wallace, don't be ridiculous. Taking the lunch and washing out is doing everyone a favour. Wallace, pull your head in. Leave the laundry basket beside the machine if you can't be there. So needless to say, you don't agree with me. Uh, Wait for their washing to be done. Put it in the dryer. Take it out still to have and fold it. (laughs) (laughs) That's cruel. That is cruel. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 25 to 5, the panel, thank you for your feedback on this. Now, we talked about a fundraiser launched yesterday on the panel to support the locked-out workers at Kawara Mill. 145 mill workers have been locked out of their workplace by manufacturing giant ST since the 9th of August. It has highlighted the role of unions and has become a bit of a topic internationally, slipping back into the mainstream coverage overseas also with workers at Apple, Amazon and Starbucks fighting for union recognition. So, are unions still relevant in the modern age. And I'd like to ask if you're part of a union, what have they done for you? Text me, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Well, one person who has looked very closely at research around unions worldwide is Mark Harcourt, Professor of Human Resource Management at Waikato University. Professor Harcourt, kia ora. Kia ora. Do you see a resurgence in interest in unions? They've certainly been in the news recently, internationally. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there has been quite a resurgence of, of, of interest in unions over the last five to 10, even 15, 15 years. Um, you see it, for example, in an uptick on union approval ratings in the Gallup poll, which just came out a couple of days ago in the US. And it was the highest approval rating for unions since 1965. So you see that as a trend in many countries that's not unique to the US. Um, but I don't want to attribute that to some pandemic-related phenomenon because I think it's a longer-term issue. It's not something that's just crept up right. um, in the last few months. Do unions have an impact on wages? What does the research say? Uh, very definitely, yes. So um, the research indicates for Britain and the U.S. in particular that wage premium can be as high as 15%, 20%, especially for the United States and Canada. It's quite high. And um, for the low-waged, it's as high as 30 to 40%. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. I mean, there will be people, people listening to this, and, it, and it, that includes me, uh, Mark, who is the, uh, has worked in the era of the Employment Contracts Act. What was that? 1991. They might not know unions. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, sure. It's fair to say. But that's not to say that unions were um, rejected by workers. In fact, um, those changes were, were driven largely by the legislative change that, that came from the Employment Contracts Act. If you actually look at surveys, and there's research done by Haynes and Charlwood, Haynes being a, a, an academic here in New Zealand, Peter Haynes at University of Auckland at the time, that research suggests it wasn't a change in preferences, but it was a cha- change in what employers wanted and were able to do. So roughly 50% of the workforce still wanted union representation. Right. 
um, but weren't able to get it because the employers had decided they were going to switch to individual agreements. Oh, gosh, yes, a fair, fair uh, bit of feedback coming in uh, on this. Uh, I'm, with, oh, I'm with F2 Union. Uh, and fear drives me to stay in it. I think they're brilliant. Yes, uh, Neve says nurses would have nothing uh, if it wasn't for the unions. We wouldn't have our pay equity negotiations go through or improvements to our uh, working conditions. But um, before we get to our panel, mate, you can have common ground, right? I mean, the Business Council of Australia and the Australian Council of Trade Unions released a statement last night expressing a desire to see living standards rise and enterprise bargaining laws made simpler and clearer, working together. Yeah, I mean, uh, unions and employers can work together. They, they do have some mutual interests, obviously. And when they do, there is certainly evidence to indicate that um, there are benefits to both parties. Now, uh, employers will tell you that unions, uh, you know, engage in restrictive practices and prevent them from innovating and all sorts of things. But the the research from around the globe indicates that much depends upon their relationship. And if employers dig their heels in, trying to get rid of the union, try and fight, um, then it can be a lot more acrimonious and things are not so good for the for the employer but on average the effect of unions on productivity for example is around zero and can be positive uh and that's certainly not the stereotype from the news media okay nick nick you first on this unions have they done anything for you i have been a member of a union at various times uh i'm obviously more what on ones? the um on psa uh but i i'm more on the employer side now but i don't think that means that that makes you anti-union. I mean, I think we've talked about the Employment Contracts Act and how that tilted the New Zealand workforce away from unions. We've got the fair pay agreements, which uh, I've been part of opposing on behalf of you know various business and industry groups, uh, which will tilt things back to, more towards union membership in New Zealand, potentially. I, just, I think these things run in cycles. So uh, I, I have quite a positive view of unions generally. Um, I think it's a shame that in recent times when you look at firefighters and you look at uh, nurses, that the unions have had to get more, go beyond their traditional uh, role and start actually arguing about the lack of resourcing for their sectors. Um, now you might say What's that's... What's wrong that, with that? Well... It Isn't might fall. They, well, no, traditionally, their... no, traditionally that wasn't. It was very much. It was traditionally more about pay and conditions. Now it's actually becoming. We're not getting enough money to actually fulfil the basic public service that we're doing. So, um, I, no, I mean it's a sign of the times. I'm not saying unions shouldn't do it. I just think it's all right. It's a sad indictment, Mark. Well, I mean, unions form uh, and perform lots of services and lots of um, you know not just conventional representation services for members, but they represent the interests of a broad class of people in society, and they, they are always uh, fighting for the underdog. And sometimes the underdog is the customer, the patient, the passenger, and um, unions fight for them too. And I, I think it's, a, it's, it's, um, it, it's not totally correct to say that unions are only about their members. They, they often have a much broader uh, set of interests than that. And don't forget, unions are democratic organizations. They are, they, they, you know, they're democratic. La- la- I hear laughter, Mark. I hear yeah, laughter. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to have a debate here. <laughs> Mark? Go ahead. Yep. Oh, no, no. So, uh, yeah. so, so um, I mean, for example, employer organizations, um, 
they're not like that. I mean, they're typically owned by somebody and the, the owners uh, obviously appoint a board of directors and so on, if it's a private organization. Um, but unions are not like that. They're democratically controlled. They have AGMs and so on and so forth. I mean, you can you can argue that they're individual unions that, that have their issues. That's fine. I mean, that's that's legitimate to say that. But if you look at the broader research on, on how unions behave, what they do, uh, I would say it's on the whole very, very positive. Okay. Uh, Emma, John, um, what about you and unions? Have they done anything for you? Um no, but it would have been helpful. I'm just thinking back to the early days of my career, and you're right, it was all, it's, and it is still, but when I was working in television in New Zealand, it was Employment Contracts Act, and you're quite um, vulnerable as a worker. You can't really negotiate um, very well. There's a real imbalance of power when you're first setting out in TV. Um, okay. And it would have been really helpful, I think, to be in a union and to have that kind of support network in place for sure. Matt says he, he, there's a lot of support, but Matt says, look, I was in a union for years. They did nothing for me and found I could negotiate a better contract without the union, says uh, Matt, who is a uh, plumber, gas fitter and drain layer. So the figures are sitting at union membership is what around 14%, 14, 15% of the working population. Is that right? Um, are they still, Mark, are they still relevant um, in the modern era? Well, people still want them. People still uh, indicate in opinion polls that they would like to join them. The okay. research that I've done indicates that about half the population uh, is quite prepared to join a union, would like to join a union. Um, and people do feel vulnerable. They do feel that their rights get trampled on, and they do feel like uh, they need a rep representative. So if you talk to, for example, community law, they'll tell you that a lot of their caseload is, in fact, employment-related. Um, you know, it's people wanting representation around being fired or wanting representation around renegotiating their contract or whatever. People do feel vulnerable. And there's a lot of research to indicate that, that unions help with policing um, the basic entitlements and statutory rights that you already have, whether it's the minimum wage or whether it's it's annual leave, um, people people need right. that their backs protected. It's very nice to have in the program, uh, Professor Harcourt. Kia ora. Very interesting stuff. Uh, he is a professor at Waikato University who has looked at research internationally uh, around. Unions. It is 16 to 5. A lot of response on that. We might come back to some of that in our Friday mailbag uh, tomorrow afternoon uh, on the panel. Now, uh, also quite a large response to this. Uh, US President Joe Biden has announced that he will forgive large amounts of student debt, enraging many Republicans, welcomed, of course, by students. It was a campaign promise to provide $16,160 in student debt cancellation. Debt forgiveness, as it's called, applies to those on less than US $125,000 a year. So, if the US can do it, what about in Aotearoa? Economist Brad Olson was quoted as saying he hasn't seen anything to indicate ex-students require help from taxpayer-funded forgiveness. Others say, as I read out earlier, high debt at a young age locks people out of, say, buying a house. So I want to get um, your thoughts on this. Let's take the first 20 texts on this. Text me, 2101, debt forgiveness for New Zealand students. Yes or no, 
why or why not? We're still, I think we've just, um, is Ralph there? No, not quite yet. So we're going to get our guest up very, very su- uh, sure. But um, first thoughts on this. Emma, did you have a student loan? I did, but it was a really small one. My parents paid for me to get my diploma in film and television production uh, from Unitech. So I was lucky. I lived at home. Um, I would say that, yeah, I mean, forgive the debt. That sounds great. Maybe have a look at, uh, I guess it could be means tested. Uh, What I mean by that is my boyfriend at the time, I remember he had a massive student loan and he ticked it up with going snowboarding every weekend and just putting that on a student loan. I don't think that debt should be forgiven. But, Interesting. Um, okay, let's know, bring in Ralph Zambrano. Genuine stuff, yes. Ralph Zambrano, president for the Victoria University of Wellington Students Association. Kia ora, Ralph. Kia ora, Wallace. Nice to be back. It's nice to have you on snowboarding with your student loan. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did hear Every that. Every weekend. Ralph? I did hear it. Um, I, I guess from my perspective, I think what the position with debt forgiveness is really important for us addressing the $16.1 billion in debt we now face as a country. But it doesn't necessarily address the systemic issues we face with access to education. And I think the better position to address the systemic issues is to really focus on free education in our country. We're, do- we're doing a mini poll here. I'll uh, tell you that very shortly. Though We just took the first 20 texts, so it's a very mini poll. Now, Jordan Williams, the head of the Taxpayers' Union, said, now all this is, Ralph, uh, is a tax cut for people with degrees. What would you say to that? Hmm. Well, I think the fact that we have a, an amount of ex- extensive amount of student debt accruing, right, means that we're pushing students decades back from being able to attain housing to attain an opportunity to contribute to society because they're paying off debt. And I think that's an issue that we need to be addressing as a country, and debt forgiveness is one way of addressing that. Um, why are students deemed so special? I mean, it's been done in the US, it's called debt forgiveness, and it's quite a significant amount too. I mean, many people in society, well, have had to take out loans, and that includes people who started their small business. Mm. And that's that's a fair perspective that people do have to take out loans, but I think it's important to remember the situation and the experiences that students are currently facing. We've never had a situation where we've been so impacted by a cost of living crisis that students are unable to actually study full time, that they need to take up part time study alongside part part time work to be able to just live and sustain a and a manageable lifestyle. We also see that students are also going into their own savings and that's further, further disadvantaging them from being able to be in a position to pay off their debt because of the cost of being a student. It's so high now that it's not accessible in any sense. And when I think about previous generations who had access to free education as well as not having an extortionate student loan and student debt they have now, we know that students of this generation, students like myself, are really being disadvantaged and put in a poorer position that isn't setting us up well as a country. All right, so uh, the, the mini polls in, uh, 60-40 saying, uh, yes, forgive uh, debt forgiveness as they're doing in the US for student loans. Nick Leggett, can you see some merit in it? I can for some targeted forgiveness. I have a real problem, I have to say, with low-income earners funding middle-class 
uh, students getting a, a completely free education. Uh, I do think there is a, a, a private good element to tertiary study, particularly for students like myself who had a student loan and, and like Emma, paid it off pretty quickly because I worked while I studied. Uh, and I, I just, but I think those, I don't think that tertiary study and cost should be a barrier to low income um, young people and others who want to come in. So, you know, all the things, I remember when student loans came in, I was probably, it was well before I was at university, but there were all these predictions made, and I actually think a lot of the predictions, things like, you know, 50-year-old women still having student debt, unable to buy houses, they've actually come true. So I think that we do have to think about where this becomes, where a student hit, uh, student loan is a millstone around someone's neck in, well into uh, adult life, mm. we should think about retiring that debt or some of it. All right, so Ralph, just echoing just what uh, Nick said, the, uh, the earlier uh, text has come through. Why should working class people like tradies have to pay someone who's going to university for someone studying engineering who's going, to, going on to make a hundred to $200,000 a year? Well, I think it's important for us to remember that job viability and being able to access the workforce isn't as easy as it used to be as it used to be and that students are actually struggling to attain jobs which is relevant to their degrees we know that the opportunities being opened up like there was a suggestion for students to go into um seasonal fruit picking but that doesn't necessarily reflect the thousands of dollars they're accruing in debt to be able to contribute to the legal profession to contribute back to society and i think we need to have the lens of this being a social investment having a society where we're not not plagued by debt essentially we don't have a situation where we're spending a majority of our adult lives paying off debt it's going to take me 10 to 20 years if i am able to secure a job one to pay off my thousands of dollars in debt that I'm continuing to rack up. So I think it's very much about this idea of a social good, but making... Final, final, final thought, Emma, they're not, all, they're not all snowboarding. They're actually working hard to try and pay the loan off. Um... My yeah. final thought on this. Um, 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 um. Don't worry. Don't I've worry. Anyway, I, I agree with Nick. I agree with Nick. <laughs> Nick. I'm, That's I'm a great Nick. answer. <laughs> no, let's go. Rudolph Zambrano, that's uh, president for the Victoria University of Wellington Student uh, Association. And uh, thank you so much for your responses on that. A really large response to that particular issue. So uh, we might even uh, come back to that uh, another time on the panel. It is eight to five. Uh, lovely to have your company today. Completely different topic. I wanted to get to this. The sun is setting. The sun's setting is nature telling us it's supposed to be dark now. Thank you very much. But it's not on our cities. They're bright and full of electric lights. There are 124,000 street lights in Tamaki Makoto. Some people want to protect the darkness and the creatures who rely on it. Now, such as manager of Waiiti Reserve, Ralph Bradley, who says our night sky is our Tonga. Ralph, kia ora. Lovely to have you on. Yeah, good afternoon, Morris. Good afternoon, Emma and Nick. I got to know all about this when I went to see the stunning uh, Mount John Observatory. No lights in the town, and they all, all the lights were down, all the lampshades were down, and they were, ex, ex, they were, you know, talking um, in excited terms about a dark sky town. When you're visiting a city, what's the issue here? Ah, oh, well, the difficulty is that the lighting engineers think that we need to turn the um, night into day for all the traffic and people that might be moving around at night in the cities. And 
we haven't stopped to ask the question, you know, if lighting up at night is a good idea. So uh, it's um, one of those really big issues we've yet to really grapple with. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's just be straight up. What's the solution? All of us wear head torches. I mean, what about safety? Well, at the moment, it's very difficult to tell. I don't know if you saw a gentleman on the radio or on the TV the other day saying, oh, we burglars love the lights on, we can see what we're doing. Um, And I think that's the difficulty with it. There's no definitive answer yet whether lighting or not having lighting affects the crime rate. Yes, I've actually looked at the research there, and that yeah, that, that is actually yeah, we 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 can say that. Before we get to our panel, and I just bring our panel in. What about you, um, uh, Nick? I mean, I, I, I'm at the stage up in the bay there where I've got to now wear a sleep mask to block out the blooming light. It is that bright at night. Uh, same same goes. I, yeah. I wear a t-shirt over my eyes. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, God, I'm really getting personal today. Um, <laughs> you wear a t-shirt over your eyes. Yes, and, 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 blackout blinds. And in, in lieu of, we've got blinds. We've got, uh, but but it's just it's too light. And we have this debate in our house because some of our children like like going to sleep with lights on and things Are you like that. Ralph? Yeah. Yes, and, I am. And yep. and I like it completely pitch black. Yep. And so I'm really, this the lights out kind of philosophy that I think, is it Mackenzie Basin have done it down That's south? That's it. And I've just been there. Yeah. Oh. Like, I love it. I think it's terrific and I think we should be doing more of it. But um, humans have adapted to having light and I think too much light during evening hour and night hours. So it's a, it's a, it's a problem that I suspect uh, we will take time to solve. Ralph is driving Nick and I crazy. You stay there. Emma, you've experienced the darkness. Yeah, well, I was going to say, because we were in Tekapur, so that's a registered dark sky mm. area, I believe. But i tell you what they've got is the brightest four square sign mm. that I've ever seen. Okay. So you're looking at this dark sky, but you're not really, because it's illuminated by a four square sign, and that was irritating. But I have to say, I'm sleeping a lot better down south. It is very dark here compared Seriously. to Auckland. Yeah, okay, so Ralph, you've you've just heard uh, Nick Leggett, um, the head of the trucking industry, going to extremes to put a T-shirt around his head at night because he can't get a good <laughs> night's sleep. I'm reduced up in the bay to wearing um, night goggles because I can't get a good night's sleep. Is this an issue that you, do, that you think deserves wider attention? The fact is our urban environments are way too damn bright. Yep, far too bright. Wallace, we we haven't stopped to ask the question what light is doing to us at night. And one of the big problems is for our health, we only only produce melatonin when we're in the dark. And once our melatonin gets um, uh, not being produced, we finish up with all sorts of hormone imbalances. And we're actually, John... Uh, John, Professor John Henshaw says in his report that we're actually killing ourselves by leaving the lights on at night. And um, God, that's a pretty strong another statement. Another thing to worry about. Another thing the, to worry about. Welcome to the panel. <laughs> we're killing ourselves by leaving the lights on. Another thing to worry about, Ralph. Um, finally, before you go, uh, you're a bit of a pioneer in, in, in this area. For our listeners, why is our sky a Tonga and what do we need to do? Just give us some 10 seconds of advice. Well, it's, 
if you go outside at night, it, it, it's just like almost a spiritual experience to be in a dark sky place and to actually look up and look at the stars and see the beauty of the Milky Way, um, you know, and the beauty of of the nebula that you can see. And, and it's if we lose that, it's like living in a world without flowers. It's like living in a world without trees. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it puts us in perspective in the universe. And I think we need that kind of experience. Um, I'm, I'm a committed Christian, and I, and I, I just it just puts me in awe. I'm starting to I, cry. Sorry, I'm starting to I cry. Look up, and I, I'm just in wonder at the place in which we live. Oh. Ralph, it's an honour having you on the panel. Kia ora for your profound and wise words this afternoon. Isn't that great, Nick? Emma, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Lovely to have you both on. Emma, John, Nick Legal. I'm Wallace Chapman, back tomorrow, Friday, 3.45. See you then. Stay locked to Lisa Owen at Checkpoint. That's up next.